If you have your Bible, I pray that you do. Turn with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 and 43 this morning in the precious Word of God. I pray that this, uh, this I guess we call it a mini-series of sorts, uh, entitled We Can Overcome. We've talked about overcoming difficulty and disappointment and discouragement, and today we want to conclude this short series by talking about overcoming depression. Overcoming depression. What I want you to know from the outset is this is not an all-inclusive message. This may not cover every uh, one of the causes that uh, bring us to depression's doorsteps, but I pray that from the Word of God it will be a blessing to us nonetheless. Look with me in Psalm 42. We're going to get started right away. And uh, if you would join me in reading in verse number uh, one, I want to begin reading. And notice the Bible says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I a mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Continuing in Psalm 43. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto the holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. And notice he asks the question again. He says, Why? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the strength of your word, for the encouragement of your word, for the truth of your word. God, how we can see so many things taking place in just this short passage of scripture. Lord, I pray that you would take your word, that you would speak to our hearts today, that your word would accomplish exactly what you desire for it to do. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody struggling with depression in this room, somebody that's watching him and worshiping online and they're dealing and they're in the midst of a time of depression in their life, God, I pray that this message would be an encouragement to them, that they would understand where the ultimate answers lie. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today that they would choose to overcome anything that they might be facing by placing their faith in the risen Savior of the world who is our light and our life. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together. I pray that you continue to meet with us, protect us, and keep us as we endeavor to worship you, as we endeavor to serve you, as we endeavor to bring you honor and glory. God, because you are deserving of it all. Lord, we love you and we thank you and pray all that you'll do. We pray that you get the glory from all that's said or done. We pray that you'll do these things in the great power of in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things. And for his sake, amen and amen. 
Well, notice with me in Psalm 42 and 43, these two psalms are chiefly really an outpouring of sorrow and complaint. And if you notice with me, what you'll see is the, both of these psalms contain the cry of a spiritual believer. And uh, notice with me in, verse, in Psalm 42, this believer is struggling with doubt and fear in the midst of depression. And what I think we see is they both teach us a lesson. They teach us a lesson that even in the midst of our deepest sorrow, that you and I, that we can turn to God, that we can have faith in God, and that we can put our trust in God. We can rest. Yes, the words left and right in the sanctuary. We can rest in the hope of our great God. On three separate occasions, notice, and most likely uh, King David uh, here dealing with the uh, rebellion of Absalom, and there's many thoughts in this, but he's talking to himself, no matter where you fall on that, whether you believe it's David or somebody else, the psalmist is literally talking to himself as if he were two people. Notice in verse 5, 11, and then also in chapter 43 in verse 5, he begins by asking two questions in every one of these verses. The first part of the question, he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Now, if you just take that phrase right there, it means to sink down under the weight of sorrow. He's saying, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's talking about this idea of being depressed, but notice he follows it up with, and why art thou disquieted in me? The idea of being troubled or sad. The psalmist is saying, why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? Because you'll see him referencing God, and we'll talk about that in, in a second. But he says, why are you so sad? And literally, I was looking up the meaning of this phrase, and why art thou disquieted in me? It literally means to growl as a bear. Anybody here ever growled as a bear? You woke up, and it's just one of those, uh, like the song back in the 70s, they had a song, rainy days and Mondays, they always get me down. Have you ever gotten up and, and you're just growling and moaning internally, internally, inside, and, and this is what's going on with the psalmist. And notice in verse number three, in verse number three of, of chapter 42, he says, tears, he says, tears had been his meat day and night. In other words, things are so bad that the psalmist has lost his appetite. He's living on a diet of tears. Have you ever lived on a diet of tears? Have you ever just cried day and night? Been so depressed, sin, been in, dealing with despair in such a way that you just felt like crying all day long? This is what's going on. His faith is literally reasoning with his fear and his hope seems to be arguing with his sorrow. They're arguing with one another, combating one another. Truly, his world seems to be or seems to have actually fallen apart. He's dealing with depression. And here's what I know because I've been there. And I bet there's some of you out here who have dealt with depression before. It's no joke. Anybody ever dealt with depression? It's no joke. You know, typically when you ask people if they've ever dealt with depression, you know just like when you're dealing with it, you don't want to recognize it, you won't admit it. Some of you raised your hand real quickly and some... Well, I, I don't want anybody to know I've dealt with depression because they might look, they, and that's one of, I'm getting a little bit ahead, they might look uh, down upon me. My, they might think I'm less spiritual than, than really I should be if I admit that I've struggled with depression. Can I tell you that people all through Scripture have dealt with depression? Preachers and teachers down through the time have dealt with depressions. And I was looking, in fact, just for research basis, I was looking on the Internet be careful what you look for on the internet. I'm serious. I was looking on the internet to see what this, this wonderful world, I'm joking, the wonderful world of Google has to say about um, depression. Can I tell you that I found all kinds of advice, all kinds of theories, and all kinds of treatment for depression, but very rarely, and I mean I had to dig hard, most of them never mention any spiritual component of healing at all. Most of the answers 
come by way of a drug or a pill or some type of, uh, of medication or, or, or mental therapy. They never offer any type of spiritual advice. And yet here in my hand, I have a copy of God's word. And we see very plainly that the psalmist here is in the midst of depression. And actually, the Bible gives us some answers how we can actually deal with depression. And like I said, this is not an all-inclusive message, like an all-inclusive resort. But I hope that we can see some answers today. Do you know that depression is defined, watch this, depression is defined as the feeling of severe despondency or dejection. And it has been described as a persistent feeling of sadness or despair, a loss, watch this, a loss of interest that affects how you feel, how you think, and how you behave. And that's true because I've, I've dealt with depression before in my life. Do you know I dealt with depression years ago when we were in Missouri? I was a straight-A student at Bible college in the midst of depression. How does that happen? It just does. Depression is a serious problem. Do you know that statistically speaking, women are twice as likely to struggle with depression as men? That may surprise you because there are a lot of guys who deal with depression as well. But ladies, statistically speaking, deal with depression twice as much. It affects our homes and our lives in many ways. It affects our jobs, our families, our health. And in some cases, and maybe you have known somebody, in some cases depression even ends up costing the loss of life. Someone has said this. Someone has said depression is like the warning lights on the dashboard of your car. <laughs> I thought that's pretty good. It's like the warning lights on the dashboard of your car. They tell us there's a problem under the hood, but what do we typically do when the warning light comes on? We just keep on driving, because after all, Chris and Josh Wolkowski can fix it if it breaks later on, right? Or John Roberts. We just keep on, we just keep on driving that thing. But it, they tell us there's a problem under the hood, and if we ignore the light and keep on driving, we cause great damage to our engine. Yes, it would be best to pull over and find out what's wrong. You know the same's true spiritually. It would be best. It would be best to pull over and find out what's wrong. And I'm not sure anybody can cover all the causes of depression. Again, this is not me trying to be like, oh, look how smart I am, how, how, how educated I am. That's not about that. But I think that we can see a few causes even in Scripture. You know, sometimes depression, what are some of the causes? Well, sometimes there's a physical cause. Sometimes there's a physical cause. I think about after his challenge, after his battle, and after his victory on uh, Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal, Elijah sinks into depression. In fact, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4, the Bible tells us that he journeys. It says he journeyed into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And notice it says, and he requested for himself. Things are so bad that this guy wants to die. Hold on just a second. Did God just not use this prophet of old? Did he just not use him to do exceeding abundantly above all that he could ever ask or think? Yes, but as soon as old Elijah hears what Jezebel's up to, by the way, ladies, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, Jezebel's probably not the best name for your daughter, okay? Probably not. If you're looking for baby names, probably want to steer clear of Jezebel. When he hears that Jezebel wants to kill him and that she's going to kill him, this is what he does. He goes out. But if you read the rest of the passage in 1 Kings 19, what you'll see is that the Lord... The angel of the Lord comes and the Lord lovingly cares for Elijah and he gives him food and he gives him rest and he allows him not only to rest but to regain his strength. And Elijah, what he really needed was sleep and food and rest and he needed to get a renewed vision of the greatness of God and sometimes physically that's what we need to do. You know, it's been said, you better come apart before you come apart. That's why we take vacations we take vacations so that we can come apart before we actually literally come apart. I think about in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent his disciples out. I, I like to say this. He sent his disciples out on a training mission of sorts. In Mark chapter 6, he sent them out to reach, teach, and minister to people. 
And if you read that passage, when you get down to verse number 30 of Mark chapter 6, the disciples come back and they're sharing all that had taken place. But when you get to verse number 31, the very first thing that Jesus says to them, he says, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. And notice what he says. And rest a while. Oh, my friends, if we're not careful, poor decisions about our health, not getting the rest we need, not eating the foods that we should be eating, not doing what we should do physically can bring about depression in our lives, no matter how strong you think you are. Sometimes there are personal causes, not only physical causes, but sometimes personal causes. You know, the devil and others attack. Has anybody ever been the attack of somebody else's uh, uh, verbal attacks on you in the workplace? Anybody here? No? <laughs> oh, you're not supposed to make me laugh up here, Brian. Yes, we have all dealt with personal attacks sometimes. And, you know, Scripture says that our adversary is a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour, right? And so here's, I've got some things that we should know. That means that he knows when. If he's, seeking, if he's walking about seeking whom he may devour, the devil knows when, how, and what weapon to use to attack. Listen, sometimes he uses uh, the strangest means to attack us. That's why we must be sober and be vigilant. We must be on guard because personal causes can, can bring about depression. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser. He's a destroyer that wants to rule our lives. And he wants to do whatever he can to get us to look at ourselves, to look at our sinfulness or our past sinfulness. The devil's great at doing that. He says, oh, you're no good. You can't serve the Lord. You can't do anything for the Lord because you've got this sin in your life. You did this. You did that. But I was reading earlier this week, it was the Welsh Protestant minister from years gone by, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And here's what he once said. He said, we must never look at any sin in our past in any way except that which leads us to praise God and to magnify his grace in Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, physical uh, causes. Sometimes there's personal causes and obviously there's going to be times that depression results from psychological causes or psychological issues. And as I started out, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a medical doctor, but I can tell you I have run into people sometimes that just seem to be pessimistic all the time. The glass is half, em is, is, uh, half empty. Uh, things are worse than they seem. And guess what? We're dealing with that right now. If you, if you tend to be someone who stands on the gloomy side of things or the pessimistic side of things, COVID-19 will eat your lunch. It will just eat your lunch. Race tensions in our country will eat your lunch. Crime and violence will eat your lunch. And then the next thing you know, you're in the midst of full-on depression. God's Word has a lot to say about these things. Oh, my friends... Instead of seeking biblical change, typically when somebody has the attitude that says, oh, things are falling apart all around me and it's so bad, it's terrible, I'm sick all the time and this, that, and that, and it's just gloomy, 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 gloomy all the time. Never any sunshine. Listen, instead of seeking help biblically to change or overcome depression, if you struggle with this type of, uh, of mentality that is always pessimistic, typically what's going to happen is... You just give in. You just give in to, to the idea that, hey, this is just what's going to happen. I told you so. And then when you're in the midst of discouraging times, despair and depression, instead of seeking that help, you say, I told you. I told you it was coming. Typically, though, the road of depression is paved with many, many steps. Many steps after experiencing a tragedy or hurt in some way, no matter what the cause Typically what happens when somebody is on their way to depression, they go into self-protection mode. 
They go into self-protection or self-preservation mode instead of immediately getting on our knees and praying to God and committing our hurt to God's care and applying the sweet balm of God's word to our hearts and into our lives for healing. What we do is we have a tendency to retreat. We have a tendency to wallow in our hurt and lock ourselves away in order to protect ourselves. And you say, how do you know this? Because I did it. I did it. I would smile tomorrow. She didn't even know I was going through depression. I put on the fake smile, and everybody's thinking, oh, he must be doing good. And inside, I was struggling. I was struggling. To be sure, most people who struggle with depression, and I can tell you this because I've dealt with people since becoming the pastor, they have no interest in doing life, and they have no interest in anyone else. They go into self-protection mode. Isolation becomes the name of the game. But sadly, my friends, isolation is not a cure or even a good option. Not only is there self-protection, but sometimes on that road of depression, we find people dealing with self-pity. Self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves. Like Elijah. You look back at Elijah's life. Listen, depression causes us to get so wrapped up in our own circumstances and our own hurt and our pain that we forget that there are others who are dealing with pain. We forget that there's a God who loves us and gave himself for us. And this is exactly what Elijah did. If you remember, Elijah, he ends up going into a cave. He's like locked up in this, this depressed state. And he's like, I'm all alone. And God says, no, there's 7,000 more just like you. Get up out of here. I've got a job for you to do. And the same is true in our lives. But See, sometimes we deal with self-pity and we feel sorry for ourselves that we can't see beyond those parameters. Years ago, it was James T. They called him Jimmy. James T. Jimmy Draper. He was former pastor and president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He stated this. This is back in the 80s. He said, oftentimes depression is selfish. He said, when we focus in on ourselves too much, when we begin to dwell on our problems and our needs and our wants and our desires, we end up having a trouble seeing God or anyone else. He went on to say, if you want to stay depressed, keep majoring on yourself. He was right. If you want to stay depressed, just keep looking at how miserable things are in your own life instead of celebrating, oh, the goodness and the greatness of God. Another thing that takes place on the road to depression is self-punishment. We believe the lie that somehow we're, we're the ones that deserve to be punished. And so instead of dealing with it biblically, what we do is we become judge and jury in our own lives and we feel like we're the ones that need to be punished. And so what we do is we punish ourselves. Self-punishment mode actually causes us to actually isolate ourselves again. Sadly, some people never get off of this road to depression until they reach the final step. And there may be more steps, but we'll say for the message's sake, this is the final step, and that's the step of self-destruction. See, a depressed person uh, typically will self-destruct by attacking everyone around them, or they will self-destruct by attacking themselves. And this is why I said that sometimes... The self-destruction mode is a life-ending mode. You see, the devil, folks, remember, he's a liar. He's a murderer. He wants to destroy our lives. But God loves us. He wants to remind you. He says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are not junk. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. He wants to remind us that we're loved. The Bible says in 1 John 4.19 that we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 4, the Bible tells us, God says, hey, you're able to overcome. You can overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Don't let these things get a hold of you. I want to say something clearly, and I'm going to say it three times before I pray. I'm going to say it the first time right now. Depression is not a sin. Just let it sink for a second. Depression is not a sin. The sin takes place in how we deal with it. See, what are the steps that we take to deal with depression? What are the steps 
that we take to deal with discouragement and disappointment. And as we began this series, difficulties. What are the steps that we take? That's where the problem or the danger of sin lies. It's not in the fact that you become discouraged or you become to feel like you're in despair or you're dealing with depression. That's not the sin. Someone would say, well, if you were stronger, brother, you would never be depressed. Okay. Let's see how that works for you because guess what? Be careful. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Because soon and very soon, if you haven't been down in the valley, you might find yourself in the valley. Got a lot of mountaintop Christians that like to give a lot of advice when they're on top of the mountain. When somebody else is in the midst of the valley, just remember there's only one way to go from that mountaintop. So what should we do when depression attacks? Here's what I think we see very quickly in these two Psalms. Number one, be honest. Be honest. I see very clearly that the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43, he immediately tells the Lord about his hurt. He tells him what he's struggling with. Throughout the psalm, he tells him how much he hurt. He tells him how disappointed he was. He says, listen, when are you going to come and and stop my enemies from attacking? They're asking, where is thy God? When are you going to do something about this situation? And so he's honest. In fact, in verses 5, look at verse 5. And you can see in verse 6, 11, and then again in verse, excuse me, chapter 43, verse 5, he readily admits to himself and he admits to God that he's in despair and depressed. And as I said a minute ago, sometimes it's difficult to be honest with God. We pray, we pray sometimes these little, these prayers that we think are going to please God. He wants to hear from us and know what's going on. By the way, he already knows. You're not hiding anything from God. A lot of people pray these lofty prayers. Oh, God, thank you so much, so much, so much, so much. And we're offering praise and thanksgiving, but we never tell him about our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. We never tell him about the things that are going on. Sometimes it's hard to be honest and open with God, and it's even harder sometimes to be open and honest with your friends, family, or coworkers. Oh, listen, instead, what we do is we try to hide our sorrow. But notice, notice here in verse 3. Notice, David describes his anguish right back to back to back. Look in verse 3. He describes it by talking about his tears. If you look in verse 4, he says, I pour out my soul. He talks about it by pouring out his soul. He talks about his anguish in verse 6 by saying that his soul was cast down. He's not asking a question in verse 6. He says, my soul is cast down. And then in verse 7, he says he felt like he was drowning because he was overwhelmed by the waves of sorrow. He's honest with God. He says, listen, this is bad. I miss being able to worship. I miss being in your word. I miss all the things that I had before. I feel like I'm on the run here. God, I need you to do something. He'd been crushed by depression. But he did exactly what you and I need to do. We just need to simply be honest. But probably to the biggest point today, aside from being honest with God and with others, when depression attacks, here's the the biggest thing I would say. And if you're a note taker, write it down. We need to look for help in the right place. We need to look for help in the right place. And this is what the psalmist did. This is exactly what he did. I I put down in my notes, if you've ever stepped down or you have fallen into a hole, anybody ever done that? I've done that in my front yard. For whatever reason, holes are, I don't know if I'm living on a a sinkhole or or what. Like, I can be mowing the lawn and all of a sudden the, the back wheel pops down in a hole. But if you've ever stepped down into a hole or you have fallen into a hole, At some point, you get to the bottom. The only way out is what? To look up. It's the only way out. There's no secret tunnel. There's no little hideaway tunnel that you can escape to the left or the right. When you step down in a hole, hello, the psalmist said he was in the midst of deep sorrow and depression. He was in a hole mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Listen, the only way out is to look up. I think about in Numbers 21, in verse number 8, the Old Testament example, the Lord says to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, he shall live. 
It reminds me of the song, look and live. Look and live, my Savior. Look to Jesus and live, right? This idea of looking to Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus actually quotes this passage in John chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15 when he's having that discussion with Nicodemus. And he says these words. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, and it still speaks to us today, he's saying, listen, a person, uh, a, a, if a person hopes to overcome the sickness of sin, think about this, the sickness of sin. Remember I said depression is not a sin, so hold the phone. If a person hopes to overcome the sickness of sin, guess what? He says, even as Moses lifted up the certain, so must you look at me. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And so you have to look up. You have to believe that I am who I say I am if you want to overcome that. Now, I said depression in and of itself is not a sin. The sickness of potential sin comes in the unbiblical steps that you and I take to try and deal with depression instead of looking, so to speak, in the right place for help. Oh, yes, we must get our eyes off of self and on to the Savior. And the best way to do that is exactly what the psalmist did, and I'll prove it to you here in just a second, and that's to completely surrender ourselves to the Lord. We have to completely surrender ourselves to the Lord. In Psalm 37, verse 5, the Bible says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him. In Proverbs 16, 3, the Bible says to commit thy works unto the Lord. Listen, if you and I are not looking in the right direction, there's no way that I'm going to commit my way and there's no way I'm going to commit my works to the Lord. It's just not going to happen. And if I'm not willing to get on the road or the course of life that God has planned for me, then guess what? I'm not going to overcome discouragement, depression, despair, difficulty, none of those things. Oh, we must commit our way and our works to the Lord. I remember years ago, and bless her heart, Mrs. Skinner used to give out a sheet to people to deal with people at the altar. And there was one verse, passage of Scripture on that that I always took, and that was basically what I always used. And when I told her that it was the place that I always used to take people, she always got very excited. And that's in James chapter 4. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with today. If you want to com completely surrender yourself to God, then James chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8 reminds us of how to do it. The Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice the step process. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Go back to verse 7, guys, so they can see verse 7 again. Submit yourselves therefore to God, number one. Resist the devil, number two. And here's the promise. When you submit to God, when you resist the devil, the promise, number three, is that he will flee from you. And then in verse number eight, it says, draw nigh to God. That means draw near, draw close to him, and he will draw near, he will draw close to you. You want to deal with depression? Draw nigh to God. This is what the psalmist did. It's what he's doing over and over in Scripture. In fact, notice the progression of his, of his surrender in the psalm itself. Look at Psalm 42. Look in verse number one. In verse number one, he says, As the heart or the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Verse two, notice what he says. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. How amazing is this? In the midst of being persecuted by men, in the midst of being uh, 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 deprived of the word and the worship of God, he says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for God. My soul thirsts for you, God. Part of, the, part of his struggle was that he was thirsting for God. He was being deprived of the corporate worship. Yes, he was being deprived of the corporate worship. He was exiled. That's why it's so important that we get back to God's house. And I understand, if you're watching online, I understand some people are fearful of coming to God's house. But man, we have to be careful about uh, using uh, what's going on as a reason not to worship, too? Oh, we have to be very careful. He says, my soul thirsteth for God and for the living God. The psalmist expresses his thirst for God. And then look at verse 5. He says, after he asks those questions, notice what he says. He says, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, watch this phrase, for the help 
That phrase right there, he says, I'm going to praise God for his deliverance. I'm going to praise God for his aid, for his victory, for his prosperity. This is what he says. And if you go down to verse 11, you'll see that it's a different word. He says, I'm going to praise him for the health of his countenance. I got news for you. The word help and health there, literally the same Hebrew word. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm going to praise God for the victory. I'm going to praise God for his deliverance and for his aid. Look down at verse number 8. In verse 8, the psalmist believes this. He says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. That word command means that he is going, the psalmist believes that God is going to commission it. He's going to confer it upon him. He says he will actually command his loving kindness in the daytime. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, and in the night, his song shall be with me. The psalmist, in the midst of his depression, what he's saying? He's saying that he's going to sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. You're, you've heard I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. You remember that? This is exactly what the psalmist says. He says, listen. He says, in the nighttime, I'm going to sing of your mercy. I'm going to sing of your goodness. I'm in the midst of this depressed state. But God, I'm going to hope in you because you're my help. You're my health. Notice also in verse 11, he said, not only was he his health, but he was and my God. Oh, listen, this is the progression of his surrender to God and a big key. Notice chapter 43. It goes on in chapter 43. He says, watch these phrases. He says, judge me. He says, plead my cause. He says, deliver me. So in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his depression, here's what the psalmist does. He just keeps on looking in the right place. In the midst of his depression, he keeps looking in the right place. But typically we don't do that. Typically, we isolate ourselves. Typically, we say, no, I don't want to worship you, Lord. No, I don't want to serve you, Lord. No, I don't want to praise you, Lord. No, I don't want to get to know you, Lord. No, I don't want to even be around the children of God. Just leave me alone. And what we do is we shake our little finger. That's dangerous business, by the way. But we do it. We shake our little finger at God and we say, God, why did you do this? God, why did you allow COVID-19? God, why do you allow this? Listen, folks, we're just reaping what we've been sowing. We've been kind of, kind of soft. We've kind of stood on the sidelines and watched our country go to hell in a handbasket. I'm sorry. Yes, I said that from the pulpit. But that's what we're doing. And then we wonder why we're struggling with depression. And disappointment and discouragement. But man, I got excited. Look at verse number three of chapter 43. Because man, you want a big key? You want the key to success? I believe one of the keys is found right here in verse number three. Notice he pleads with God. He says, send out. He says, send out thy light. Send out thy truth. He says, let them lead me. He says, hey, I'm discouraged. I'm in despair. I'm depressed. But he's pleading with God. He says, send out your light, send out your truth, and let them lead me. Instead of letting the world lead us, instead of letting the devil lead us, instead of letting the flesh lead us, we need to get back to that old, old-time religion, so to speak, and ask God to lead us. Through the light and the truth of his word, in spite of his miserable circumstances, the psalmist looks to God and sees what only God can do and realizes that if he's going to come out of depression, he has to place his trust in the living God. In Psalm 119, 105, iconic verse of Scripture, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Depression, when we're dealing with depression, it feels like, and you say, well, how do you know? Because I've been there. It feels like we're walking around in darkness. That's what it feels like. You feel like you're never going to come out into the light. And the psalmist had the right answer. He says, God, send your light. Send your truth. I want your truth. I want your light to guide my steps. Oh, it's true with us. It's been said that if we're more interested in Jesus Christ, we would be less interested in ourselves. Jeremiah, we talked about Jeremiah a few weeks ago. 
And Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16, he said, thy words were found and I did eat them. If you're in the midst of depression, be like Jeremiah, eat the word of God. Because he said, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. What a testimony. I pray that would be our testimony, that the word of God would be our joy and rejoicing of our heart. Of our heart. Notice verse 4, because it's really cool, because right after he says in verse number 3, send out your light and truth, the psalmist actually uh, says, he says, then, he says, if you'll send out your light and you'll send out your truth, he says, then, notice verse 4, will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my, watch what he says, my exceeding, what does he call it? My exceeding joy. He says, God, if you'll send out your light, if you'll send out your truth and let them lead me. He says, then will I go to the altar and, and you are my exceeding joy and upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Oh, yes, when depression attacks, we need to be seeking the person of God. Listen, we need to have a thirst that's growing, not diminishing. We need to seek the presence of God. The only way to do that is to confess and to forsake our sinfulness. We need to be seeking the praise of God. Taylor and the praise team. Listen, praise is a command, not a feeling. The more we sing praises to God, the quicker we'll drive depression away. Oh, we need to be seeking the precepts of God. And the only way that we'll seek his precepts is through the light and the truth of his word. And we need to be doing it with the people of God. We need to quit avoiding one another. When depression strikes, the last thing that you want to do is isolate yourself. I can tell you, you will stay locked in fear and worry and discouragement and despair and depression. You will stay locked in there if you isolate yourself. The only way to come out is to look to God. So I said, be honest. Look for help in the right place. And then last, and I close, stop punishing yourself. Depression, I said it, this is the third time I'll say it. Depression is not a sin. Only the unbiblical choices that we make to deal with the sin. If you know that you have dealt unbiblically with the, the problem of depression in the past or even in the present, listen, confess it and move forward. Jesus paid it all. He's paid sin's ransom. That's not something I could pay or you could pay. It is like that song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He, not me, he washed it white as snow. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 shares some great news for the believer by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. To them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That word condemnation means that there's no adverse sentence. There's no adverse sentence anymore. If you are a believer, if you have trusted Christ, there is no condemnation any longer. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 12, the writer of Hebrews says, "For uh, God speaking says, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and to their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Psalm 103 in verse 12 reminds us that God removes our transgressions as far as from the east as to the west. Micah chapter 7 and verse number 19 celebrates the fact that God casts our sin into the depths of the sea. What a good God we serve. I'm glad you said amen because he is good. He is the giver of good and perfect gifts. The Father, right? And he sends them down with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. There's a story, and I'll kind of wrap up here. There was a story of a woman who was dealing with a terminal illness. And uh, she was struggling with depression. And one of the ladies from her church would visit her from time to time. And it's one day when the depressed woman dealing with this illness, she was in her living room and she was standing in front of her window and she said, it just feels like God is completely shut out from my life. And in a symbolic nature, she took and slammed the curtains closed. As she did so, her friend kindly responded. She said, you know, sweetie, just, be just because you closed the curtains doesn't mean the sun 
isn't still shining. You see, sometimes depression, we feel like God isn't there. We feel like he's not paying attention. And what we have a habit of doing is we close the curtains in anger. And we say to ourselves, well, God doesn't love me anymore. That couldn't be further from the truth. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. Oh, my friends, when depression and things like it sink their teeth into us, you and I can be sure that the sun is still shining. S-O-N, the light of the world, not the sun that we look up. Oh, yes, that'll be shining too. Joy comes in the morning. But the sun, S-O-N, is still shining. And our great God is still behind those closed curtains. The psalmist understood this because he admitted three times that his soul was cast down within him. Notice that each time he did that, if you paid attention in verse 5 and verse 11, and then also in verse 5 of chapter 43, every time that he admitted that his soul was cast down and his, uh, why was it disquieted within him, the very next thing he told himself to do was to hope thou in God. He said, hope thou in God. He said, for I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I will yet praise him for the health of his countenance, and he is my God. In verse number 9, he reveals that God is his rock. In verse 2 of chapter 43, he said God was his strength. In verse 4 of chapter 43, I've already pointed it out, he said God was his exceeding joy. Oh, my friends, is God your exceeding joy? Is he your exceeding joy? If not, why not? If he's not your exceeding joy, why is that the case? Are you feeling like you are distant from him today? Can I tell you, he remains as always with his arms open wide, just calling whosoever will come, whosoever will come. Listen, when depression attacks, our greatest need is not happiness. When depression attacks, our greatest need is not relief from pain. When depression attacks, our greatest need is a stronger relationship with God a stronger relationship, a renewed sense of God's goodness. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you say, well, I don't even have a relationship with God. Can I just tell you a few things? Number one, God loves you. God loved you so much that he has already provided the, pen, the price to pay for the penalty of sin. He's already accomplished everything that is required for your salvation. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive you and to come into your life. That's good news, that God loves you and he cares for you and he wants to see you through seasons of life like difficulty and disappointment and discouragement and depression. But if you're a believer here and you're unwilling to admit it, you kind of half-heartedly might have raised your hand and said you dealt with depression in the past. But maybe you're here, maybe you're watching, and you struggle with depression continually. I want to tell you a few things, too, and that's that God loves you. God cares for you, and he wants to see you through. It's not just a message for those who don't know him. He loves you. He cares for you. That's why he says to cast your care on him because he cares for you. He wants to see you through. I think about Hebrews chapter 6. In verse number 19, the Bible reminds us that our hope, the hope that we have is as an anchor for the soul and that that hope is both sure and it's steadfast. What a wonderful promise from Scripture that even in the midst of of depression we have a hope now notice it says that it's like an anchor folks I can tell you hope accomplishes for the soul the exact same thing that an anchor accomplishes for a ship they throw out the anchor so that when the winds and the waves and the storms come that that boat will not be moved Jesus Christ does the same thing for you and I that hope that we have in the risen Savior of the world, like an anchor holding on to a ship, holds us in the midst of the winds and the waves of depression. And why does he do that? Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. He's forgiven you. And he wants to see you through. I want to encourage you. Thirst in him. 
Thirst. Thirst for Him today and celebrate the hope that you have in Jesus today. That is how you'll be able to take the first few steps to overcome things like depression. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And God, we see so many things taking place in our culture, in our society, in our country, in this world. And we wonder if you're aware. We wonder if you're listening. And Lord, some of these things tend to bring us low. And like the psalmist who had been separated, who, who, who felt like he was all but forsaken, God, we need you to work in our midst. Lord, we need you to, we need you to answer our prayers. We need you to understand that we are needful. And we know that you already know that, but God, we just want to be honest with you. We want to tell you in the season of hurt that we need you. God, I pray that those that are listening, those that are worshiping here today, those that are wanting to hear from you today, that they have been encouraged to understand that like the psalmist whose soul was cast down, that they too can hope in you because you're the one that will give us hope and health and help. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will and your way in our hearts and our lives this week. God, I pray that if there's somebody who's watching that has isolated themselves because of depression, God, that they would be encouraged today, that they would be encouraged to forsake it, that they will be encouraged to put their faith and their trust in you, that they will turn to you, and that they won't turn to their own thoughts and their own ways and their own modes and methods. But God, that they would once again understand, like the psalmist did, that the only place to turn is to you. Lord, I pray for the person that might not know Christ as their Savior, that today that they might call out upon the name of the Lord and receive the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord, I pray for those who might be looking for a good church home, those who need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, whatever the need is, God, I pray that you would speak to hearts and lives and that people would make decisions for you while we have time. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll do business with you while you're near. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.